Thank you, Jay. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Did you scare uh, everybody off? I did scare. I scared. I scared the little kids, even Dana. But uh, hey, my name is Jim. I've been at this church for three, three and a half years. Uh, I'm honored this morning that the pastor had asked that uh, could I fill in and share the word this morning. So uh, thank you for that opportunity. But before we start, I do want to pray, and I do. Let's remember our pastor this morning. He's on a time of. Uh, uh, a time of sabbatical. I don't care what the word is. I, you know, I called him. I said, you're like Moses. You're going to the mountain. So you know, my prayer for Ross this morning would be that he would have a mountaintop experience till he comes back and he would get clarity and he would get vision. So would you pray with me? And we remember our, because God works in authority. God's in authority. He works through the headship of the church and leadership. And, and we're to submit to that. And we're to be in that authority. So bow your head with me. Father, we just love you this morning. I ask that you would remember Ross and Elizabeth. I ask that for Ross, you would give him, you'd give him that mountaintop that he might see a little glimpse of the glory, Father God. You'd give him visions, you'd give him dreams, you'd give him a prompting for the words you'd have for him. And for Elizabeth, I just, I pray that you would unleash her. I know that she has a special anointing, Father God, and I just pray that you would make that visible to her and to everybody around her. And for their children, we just pray that they would be a blessing, Father God, that they would see the examples of their parents, that they would just be a blessing to them. They follow in your footsteps. And it says, because the, that word was sown in them when they were little, they'd grow up and they'd, they'd be strong, Father. And I just pray that even in the next two weeks as he comes by, that there'd be a restful time. He'd get a renewing of the Spirit. Father, we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in the uh, Minor Prophets now for, uh, you know, no joke, but anybody, <laughs> like when, it, when, when they said we'd be teaching on the Minor Prophets, I got to tell you first, and Jay will probably even tell you, even sent him a snarky email, I was kind of like, wow, really? Like, who, who teaches on the Minor Prophets for like 12 weeks, right? Uh, that's just a little bit about me being a little bit petty inside, for sure, because they can be, I mean, for me, they can be tough books, man. It's like, everything's hard, and it feels like, man, you're really bad, and and it, and it, and it, it could be tough. And at first, and, and where's Dan? I love my brother Dan. So, and then Jay is like, hey, which one do you want to preach on? I'm like, Jonah, right away. And then he's like, oh, that's taken. I'm like, but Dan already had three prophets. Can't I have the one I want? And, but then I heard, I heard Dan last week and Jonah, and he did. I'm like, oh, okay, that's why I shouldn't have Jonah. But I chose the book of Joel. And why did I choose the book of Joel? Because it has something very personal to me. And my walk, I, was, I, was, uh, I grew up very conservative brother in Christ. All the women in my church wore cape dresses. They... They covered their heads, and I still remember the first time I walked into a church that wasn't that, because we had a way that I remember a, a pastor telling me in a revival one time that if I knew who won the World Series and I, had a, and I wore a short sleeve shirt, that I would go to hell. I've never forgot that, because I ran home and I said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to hell, because I knew who won the World Series last year. Uh, but that's the kind of church I grew up in, and I remember coming to a church for the very first time where they talked a lot about this Holy Spirit thing. And, and that was really different to me. That was not, and, and my wife would testify, I went home, I said, that's not church. And I'm never going back there again. Whatever that was, I'm never going back. Uh, but so that led me on a journey to try and discover what the Bible said about the Holy Spirit. So while we're going to talk about Joel, the reason I picked Joel is because we see a prophecy in Joel, and then we see it manifested, and we see it come. And we see that concluded in the work of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus tells us about that spirit. So that's why I, I chose this. So I do have a lot of scripture this morning. I don't want you to totally focus on that. But faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. So we're going to make sure you hear a lot of it. And I have it printed out. And I have a Bible. And I have it on the screen. So no technology is going to disrupt us this week. I will tell you, if you want a Bible, I have an extra one. Because 
I like, I don't want to wear my reading glasses, so I bought one that said uh, large print, and then that was too small, and then I found one they called giant print. You can almost read that from the back. <laughs> like one, see that? See, she's like, she can read it from right there. So I don't have to put on my glasses this morning, so praise God for that. So let's go and start in the book of Joel, and I want to go through this pretty quickly, but I want to get to the point of the prophecy, and you could, you could teach all these prophets. You could teach weeks and weeks and weeks. But we got 30 or 35 minutes, so I just pray that the Spirit would speak a special word to you. And Joel 1, like the other prophets, we got a lot of history. We got a lot about them, their lineage. We got a lot about uh, how old they were, when the prophets... We didn't get any of that with Joel. All we know is his father's name. It's not important, though, because uh, the word that he speaks here is really for all time's sake. And it might be uh, smaller. It might actually be bigger on my Bible. So if you can't read that, you can just look at my Bible if you can't read it on the screen there. But let's start in Joel 1. And uh, what we learn to begin is there's an evasion of locusts. So God's people are returning from Babylon. And when they do, there's a calamity strikes. And he talks about an evasion of locusts. And he says, hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. First thing we learn is something like this has never happened before. And that's why I call it a calamity. It doesn't say that. I call it a calamity. And, and he's going to give us a recipe. What happens when there's calamities in our life? But the first thing we learn is make sure you tell your story. Last time I did share with you, I told you my story a little bit about that. And we're, we're, this is before the Internet, right? So this is there were scrolls, and you had to write things down. You had to tell your children. You had to tell your brothers and your sisters. But I would say to us, so what are we handing down? It's not just the stories. Stories about ourselves, but stories about our life are things that we're handing down. So we learn in Joel, remember, hand things down. Then he says, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Um, so if you know anything about locusts, I don't. I read a little bit about it. They look a lot like crickets, but... Um, and you know, back in the early days um, in Egypt, there was a plague of locusts. So we know that there have been times in the past where the locusts, you may have seen this around here, locusts sort of look a lot like grasshoppers. And then in certain conditions, it's usually moisture or some other weather event, they, they, they kind of get together in groups. And then groups start to join together and they form a swarm. And then when swarms they get together, it becomes a full-on plague. But what do you know about a plague and a locust? A tiny little locust about that big can eat its body weight every day in vegetation. So, and some of these swarms have spanned, uh, there's one in Egypt, I think just like 10 years ago, and it spanned over 100, mi 100 miles. That's a lot. And you can think each and every day, and some of them can last days, weeks, and even months. I think I've seen some as long as two months. Just uh, last year, there was a small swarm in uh, Mecca. So they still happen today, but mostly we know how to recover. But in that day, how did people live? They farmed and they raised animals. And so if something came through your land, and it was a swarm, and, and they didn't have public transportation, so most people lived within a mile of where they were. So if something came through and ate all the vegetation, and he's trying to describe how bad was it, right? The swarming locusts, the crawling locusts, they ate every piece of vegetation in the land. This was really bad. So your job was affected, your food was affected, everything about your life was affected. And uh, if he goes on, and I'm going to read the rest of this, it's not on the screen, I'm going to read it really quickly. And this is where he talks about how bad this calamity is. He says, wake up drunkards and weep. 
because the wine is gone. He tells them, the nation invited my land. It's like the teeth of a lion. It's laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It's stripped off the bark, mourned like a virgin, grieving, grain offerings, drink offerings. I mean, he just goes on and on. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The oil fails. The sparrow, you farmers, whale, you vine growers. And he gets all the way down to Scripture 12, and he says, Surely the people's joy is withered away. There's no joy in the land. Can you imagine being a farmer? You have no crops. And uh, it even says a little later here, so I, uh, she's not here, but I'm going to reference her. So when I was studying the Old Testament and getting prepared for this, one of the things you got to do is seek the counsel of the wise and the many and the anointed. So uh, one of the people I asked, if she's not here, I think her parents are, but Emerson Miles, and I said, hey, why don't you come over, because I need some more insight. I need the counsel of my She's a nine-year-old, by the way. Uh, but I got to meet her last uh, summer, spent some time with her. I think she has a special anointing. So she came over to help me with this, and, and uh, we would read through the scripture, and she brought her children's Bible, and it was really great. And I asked her, I said, so, like, what do you think about this? And she says, this is really, really bad. And at the end, it says, she says, it's so bad the cows are sad. That's how bad this was. The cows were sad. And then she said at the end, she said, could it possibly get any worse? And when we get to chapter 2, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. So we get in, um, now we know it's really, really bad. We all have calamities in our life. Maybe for you, what's a calamity? You might be your 9-11 moment. And what happens in these times? What are we, what are we, what are we called out to do? What we're going to see here is a call for lamentation. But I, I would say the challenge for us is where do we cry out in our life whenever there's a calamity today? And we've come to the point that we can take care of so many things ourselves. And I've had the opportunity to travel around the, the, the globe, and everything's so easy for us, right? Something presents our life, and we have an answer for it. And we tend to only cry out to God when I can't solve it myself. Now, we're, we're called to do the opposite. It is God who sustains all things. And I've been to Haiti, for example, and, and I've been to India, not my favorite place. My brother Greg's been with me, not my favorite place. Um, but I've been to Haiti, and when I went to Haiti, the closest hospital was two and a half hours in a little car away. Like, so if something bad happened to you, you know what those people do? They stop and they pray, because they know there's not a doctor in a mile. There's not an urgent care center that I can log on online and say, oh, don't want to wait. My, my dear wife had this, and we logged on. It's really cool, right? It's convenient for us, and you can say, oh, we'll have a time for you in two hours, and then we get to sit at home so we don't have to wait in line. Like, that's what it is like for us. But these people didn't have that thing. And what do they do? What do they do? They cry out to God, the sustainer of all things. So this is what we're called to do. In verse 13, he says, Put on sackcloth, you priest, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before God. For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So who are the first people? First thing you're supposed to do is cry out to God. It doesn't say, I mean, when there's a problem in your life, where's the first thing, where's the first place we go? But we're to cry. And who's to cry out first? The elders, the priests, the godly people of the church are to cry out first and then gather all the people together in one place and cry out to God. Now you do see this happen in my lifetime, uh, September 12th. All the churches were full. And I would say, why was that? We didn't have an answer for that, right? So we're like, oh, I can't, I mean, how do I fix that? I never, I never knew there'd be a time where somebody would take over a plane and use that 
to terrorize thousands and thousands of people, right? So people, they didn't have an answer, so we ran to our churches. But we're called to cry out and to lament, which really means to mourn for God. So if you go down then to verse 18, my dear friend Emerson would say, and he goes on to say how bad it is again. Now that we say cry out to God, he goes on to say, how the cattle moan, the herds mill about because they have no pasture, even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, Lord, I call, for the fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness and the flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. Streams of water have dried up the fire. Fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. So at this time, my friend Emerson said, could it get any worse? These people ought to pay attention. So you get into verse 2, and right away, as soon as she said that, I said, my friend Emerson, guess what? It's going to get worse. In chapter 2 of Joel, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. So he goes back and forth between talking about a swarm of locusts, and there's lots of theologians that talk about, was he referencing, uh, in chapter 1, was he referencing an army to invade? In chapter 2, we believe he was referencing a new army to invade, but then down at the end, he does say in, in verse 11, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the day, but he refers to the day of the Lord. And we know there's a coming final day of the Lord, but there's also, uh, in, in this particular verse, he's talking about a coming army that is going to invade the land. And it's going to be worse than an army of locusts. So you should remember, you should cry out to God. And then we get over, and he starts to give us a little bit of a recipe and says, what should we do? So I got it. This is bad. I should cry out to God. But there's something worse coming. And then we learn in, in verse 3 that there's something... And in chapter 3, at the end of time, there's another time coming. And sometimes, I know this is tough theologically, but in this scripture, we actually have that Jesus sent some of this as a reminder to his people. And that's a lot of times what a prophet was doing, was reminding the people that you need God, that you should cry out to God. And then he gives us a prescription of what we should start to do in verse 12. Even now declares the Lord... Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings. So what do you know? Turn or rend your heart, break your heart. God can only work with a broken, humble heart is what we learned. But the practice of the day was they would make this big visual display and they would tear their clothes and they would run around and it's like, oh, it's so bad for me. Look at me. A big show. And I asked my friend Emerson again and she said, she said hey, don't be a show off. That's what God's saying. Don't be a show off here. He's saying, I, I don't care what you do on the outside. I don't care what a big display you make in the public realm. He's like, I want to know where your heart's at. Is your heart with me? Break your heart. Be humble. Say that you need me. Tell me. Come cry to me. It says we have a spirit of sonship where we cry out, Abba, Father. Come, ask your Father for help, he says to us here. And he goes on, and then the Lord answered 
um, and again, I'm covering about three weeks of sermons in about 10 minutes. <laughs> so I appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, the Lord answered and he said, and you notice he said, the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people because they cried out and they did turn their heart. And the Lord replied, replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. And we learned in that last chapter, we said to turn your heart. What does it say about God? Why should we turn to God? He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And we see over and over again in the prophets, when the prophets and the people would turn their heart, God relent and he would, and he would deliver them from whatever situation they were in. Then he goes on to say further in verse 25, I will pay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, and the other locusts and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God. Amen. Then we get down to verse 28, and really the place I want to start and, and deal with the prophecy, but before we get there, let's, let's read verse 28 real quick. He says that afterward... So he's restored them now, and he's made a promise and given them blessing. He said, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is the prophecy from the prophet Joel, and that's what I want to spend really the rest of this time sort of walking through is what was the prophecy um, what did Jesus say about it? But you have to remember the, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. And what was the role of the Spirit? So this is where he says, hey, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. And this was, for me, this is a walk I had to go through. And that's why I really wanted to share this with you is this whole thing of there being a Spirit and what part does that play? And, and sometimes, you know, I, th I think we get out of whack. Sometimes I think some churches, and I mean, I'm going to tell you later, church is not a building. God doesn't only, he's not, he's not just in a building. There's not sort of, like, we didn't put in a Holy Spirit ventilator system, and then, like, at 1030, we kind of opened that, and the Holy Spirit floated. I mean, that's, that's not what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. It says it's one that he comes alongside. But in the Old Testament, in, which is where this minor prophet was, the Holy Spirit only came on either certain people or came in certain situations. He came upon judges, and he came upon uh, Samson when he tore apart a, a lion, and he came upon... Uh, David, whenever David was, was anointed king and took over king from Saul, there was individual places where you would see the Spirit would fall on people. You remember all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and we were with God always. But in the Old Testament, we, we weren't with God always. And you had to go in, and you had to have a priest go into the Holy of Holy. Remember, and God existed just in the Holy of Holy. You had to go into a building, and that was the place where priests would go forward. And that's where you had to go to see God, to experience God, except in these specific situations where the Spirit would come upon people and it tended to be temporarily. So as we get into the New Testament, um, I'm going to go forward there now. Go to, uh, yeah, I'm going to skip that. Amanda, was it Amanda? Thank you, Amanda. Go ahead. Thank you. So what did uh, Jesus say? So think about in time, we have the Old Testament. We've just had the prophecy that the Spirit would fall on all their people. And then, before I want to get to that prophecy being fulfilled, Jesus started to talk to us uh, about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's work would be. And um, 
So think about Jesus and where we were. So this prophecy was thousands of years. We don't know the exact time, but for sure it's at least 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 years ago. Um, Jesus comes. He's a man. He was 30. And he ministers on the earth. People would say three years, four years, three and a half years tends to be. So he was a man. He started when he was 30. He ministered for three, three and a half years. We are now near the end of his ministry time. And again, just like before, so we had the Holy Spirit that would come on certain situations, on certain people, and then we had Jesus, we had an experience of Jesus, but Jesus only ministered for three, three and a half years, and only ever traveled, I think some people would say 100 miles, let's just say it's a tiny area in the Middle East. So what about everybody else that didn't get to experience Jesus? But let's, let's talk about, this is just before his crucifixion. And, and let's talk about what Jesus talks about and why he said what he said. So in verse 15, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He said, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Here's the first thing we learn, and he calls him here the Spirit of Truth. But the first thing we learn is Jesus speaking about the coming of the Spirit, that he would be our advocate. Another, another version would say comforter. Another version would say, counselor. We sing a song, an old hymn, and I, I don't always like, but he lives. I remember that one. He walks with me. He talks with me. But he's your comfort. He's a counselor, and he's an advocate. What's the Holy Spirit do for you? I'm not saying we shouldn't go for counseling. I, I had a pastor, you know, I still remember when I was being discipled, and he would ask me every week, like, how, Jim, how are things? How are things going? And, you know, how's work? Or, or how's your feeling? And I'd say, well, we got this thing. And, you know, his first thing every time he'd say, did you pray about that? And I'd be like, oh, man, I didn't pray about that. I didn't, but I've told three people about it. And I'd say, well, maybe I need to seek advice. And, and he would say, well, I'd go, Pastor, what do you think about that? What do you think I should do about that? I'd, I'd ask for his advice, which isn't a bad thing, but you know what he'd say every time? And he used to frustrate me back then. And he would say, well, you should seek the Holy Spirit. I'm like, no, I came to see you. What do you mean I should seek the Holy Spirit? I don't understand that. Like, I want an answer. I got a problem. Help me with my problem. And he would say, seek the Holy Spirit. I'm just a man. So we know this from the scripture right here that he says, he will send an advocate, a comforter, a counselor. So what's one of the things the Holy Spirit can do? He's your advocate. Have you ever had anybody advocate for you? I've had that in my career. People come alongside, and they're always just like making a way for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In the New Testament, he call, the word they use a lot is called the paraclete, the one who walks alongside. So we have here from Jesus. Jesus says, I will send the advocate. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to be my advocate. Then he calls him the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Second thing we know about this Holy Spirit coming, he's going to be in you. He's no longer a thing that just would fall upon certain people and would comfort. He's going to be in you. When you're saved, That we know that we get a deposit of the Holy Spirit and he will be in you. Always. What he said, I will not leave you as orphans. This is what he's trying to say is, look, I'm just a, I took the form of a man so I could fulfill the prophecy and live the perfect life that you might be saved. But I, don't, I will not leave you as an orphan. He, he was finite because he was a man. He could only occupy 100 miles. He could have disciples, but he was finite. And you saw what happened. What happened right after Jesus was crucified? The disciples were all disheveled, right? And they were just like, and they're running around scattered, and Peter's denying them all over the place. They didn't know what to do. It's like, oh my gosh, Jesus is gone. What do we do? And so he's promising, I don't want to leave you as an orphan. So I'm going to send someone. 
Before the long, the world will not see me anymore because I live, you will also live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keep them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. I'm going to skip Judas and Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we, notice we, there's the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they're always in perfect unity. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anybody who does not love me will not obey our teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus only existed to glorify the Father. And then here he used the phrase we. And the Holy Spirit only exists for the work and the words of the Father. And we know he's the Spirit of truth. So we learned the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to be our advocate. He's going to be our comforter. He's going to be our counselor. Um, he will be omnipresent. Otherwise, it would be like we were orphans. I use one of these old stickies, and it sticks my pages together. All right. The work of the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes... I will send to you from the Father. Again, we have the reference to the advocate, and he's sent from the Father. The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. What else do we know about the Holy Spirit? He will testify about Jesus. The Holy Spirit in you is there to remind you and tell you, give evidence to what Jesus did. That's what he does. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. If we go on and we go to um, verse 7, But very truly I say to you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because the people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to be with the Father. For you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So we know the world, the Holy Spirit will teach the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And this should be revealing to us. Um, whose job is it to tell your neighbor that they're sinning? Now, I'm not saying that we should never, too many times uh, we wear our gospel six shooters, and we want to walk around telling the world about what's right and what's wrong and what's sinful and what's judgment. So the thing we know about the Holy Spirit is, he said, look, I'll be with you, but he says it's my job. The Holy Spirit will tell your neighbor. I gave a scripture to uh, Scott earlier uh, in Jeremiah and Hebrews, one of my favorite, where he says, in Jeremiah, he said, no longer will a man say to know his brother, because you all know me from the least to the greatest, because he says, I will write my laws in your mind, I will put them in your heart. And then because he's written those laws in your mind and your heart, he said the Holy Spirit will remind your neighbor when they're sinning and whether or not. It doesn't need to be your job. The Holy Spirit will remind them if they're doing the right thing. And they will remind you, by the way. Each day has enough trouble its own, right? We should stay focused on our own relationship and take the splinter out of our own eye. But, and, and he's going to remind them about judgment. So he's saying in, in Genesis or in Romans, I love the verse, he said, even all of creation is evidence of God, that people would be without excuse. So I try to remember that. It's not my job. 
it's my job to be faithful and fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and the Lord as he put it in my life, but it's not my job to tell everybody around me when they sin and whether or not they're not the righteous. God's living in them. God, the Holy Spirit will remind them, will tell them. They all know what's right and wrong. That's what the Word says about them. So I think about that as uh, some people might think that's sort of a job they have. <laughs> and uh, I would say, well, time to be unemployed in that job. At the very end of that verse, then he says, this is why I said to you, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So he will only speak what he heard from the Father. And the Son only heard, spoke what he heard, or the Son only heard what he spoke from the Father, and the Spirit will only hear. So, I, you know, Rick and I had a great breakfast morning I had with him, and one of the questions we had was around unity. And so if the Spirit only speaks what he hears from Jesus, and Jesus only speaks what he heard from the Father, can God ever argue with himself? Would he ever disagree with himself? So I would say uh, the Holy Spirit is about unity. So he's deposited in you. He lives with you always. And where there's disunity, I would, I, would, I would ask, is the Spirit at work? Because God will not argue and disagree with himself. The Holy Spirit is always going to be one of unity. And Rick and I were having that conversation. I'm like, hey, if... If you and I are operating in the Spirit, we were, we're going to totally agree on everything. We're never going to. Now, where I get in the way, then we might not be in unity. And I get in the way a lot. So I want to go over to uh, the very end. We've heard a little bit about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. We heard Joel. And now we're coming into a time where Jesus has been crucified. Um, he's, he, he was, on the third day, you know, he was rose again. And then he started to reveal himself over a period of time. So we had the prophecy, and Jesus was not there before the prophecy. Jesus came, 30 years. He ministered for three, three and a half years. He gave his life, was crucified, was buried, rose again. And now we're starting to see, okay, we prophesied about it. Jesus made the promise to it. Now we're going to see where that promise is now made real. So we go to Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many, many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. The Holy Spirit's also a gift. Which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sights. These are the last words we receive from Jesus, but he tells them to go and wait. So Jesus died. Remember, right after Jesus died, the, the disciples were disheveled. They were in a mess. They weren't sure where to go. 
And then three days later, he comes back and he starts to reveal himself to them. Now they're all encouraged and they're rallying around Jesus. But he says, no, you go and you wait. You wait for the gift I promise. And when you do, and when you get this gift, you're going to receive power. Now, that's not power like the force. A lot of times when I hear people talk about the force, it's like they have a lightsaber. The Holy Spirit is not power for you to wield. And it's say that you will receive power for witnessing. That is the deposit of the Holy Spirit inside of us, and sometimes it can be hard to witness. But the Spirit doesn't, doesn't have a hard time to witness about Jesus. Jesus doesn't have a hard time to witness about the Father. The Spirit doesn't struggle at all. The thing that struggles with that is me. I struggle with that. But he says the Spirit is the thing that gives me power for witnessing. Another would say, where it says power would say ability. Another one would say evidence. So it is power for witness, but he also said power. Not power for me to yield, but that means there's power inside me. There is ability inside me as an evidence. And this is what I would say, I mean, I mean, I know we come to church, but church isn't a building. Church is a person. And the Holy Spirit, for me, the church is a group of people combined together through their spirit. But church is really about you and I. It's about what we do Monday through Saturday as well as just on early Sunday morning for two hours in a building because God doesn't just live in a building anymore. He never really did. God is everywhere. Church is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. So we have a little while further then, uh, and the final, the Holy Spirit actually comes. And on uh, chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every, na every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? And I'm not going to go over the really long list of countries. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. The initial falling of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I don't want to get into the tongues and things I don't want to talk about today. There's just not time. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the, the gifts, um, and all those things. But in this case, this was speaking known language. There was 120 to gather together. When the, Spirit fit, uh, when the Spirit fell on them and they were filled... It didn't just come and go for specific instances. It says they could speak a language, but it was languages people around them could recognize. And many would say this is, you know, the other side of the Tower of Babel. But here's what we know. It fell on them. And then I want to read, Peter addressed the crowd. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken way back in the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs in the earth below. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming and great Glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. 
So now we have the complete fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. We have what Jesus said about What did he say about the Spirit? I didn't cover this in Joel, but let me see this. I will pour out my Spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Prophecy is, um, there is a gift of prophecy, but I don't want to talk. He said your sons and daughters. This wasn't about the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is simply being prompted by God to give a word, usually to accomplish God's purpose. Not to accomplish your, you know, prophecy is not, hey, I feel like you need to come mow my lawn. That's not a prophecy. A prophecy is being prompted by God, and it's a word that helps further the gospel. But it says, who does it say will prophecy? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's available to all because we receive the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Your young men will see visions. Why is that important that your young men see visions? Uh, actually, I asked my wife this question. I'm like, what do you know about young people? What are young people usually focused on? I mean, ask them what they want to do when they grow up, and it depends on how young they usually say, I want to be a fireman. I want to be the queen of England. I mean, they're not sure because young people are generally focused on the here and now. They can only think about the next 30 minutes in front of them. How often do you, meet, you don't usually meet a third grader or something that would say, here's what I'm going to do in high school, and then here's what I'm going to major in, then when I get college, and then I'm going to get married, and I have a plan, and then you don't usually see that from a young person. So what he's saying was the spirit, your young people will get visions. They will get a vision for things yet to come. And we heard that earlier, that when the spirit of truth comes, he will tell you things that are yet to come. So it's important that we get visions. And your old men will dream dreams. I don't know if I'm an old man yet, and I'm going to say not. So anybody older than me is old, and anybody younger than me is not. But what happens when you're older in your life? When you're younger, everything's in front of you, but mostly you're just seeing what's directly in front of you. But when you, as you get older, you start to get to the point where most of your life is behind you. And you stop having so many of those plans. But he says, if, you're, if you have the power of the Holy Spirit, which you do because it's fell, your old man will dream dreams. You will still have dreams. You have dreams and aspirations because it's the Holy Spirit inside you that's always going to try to fulfill the gospel and always further the mission of the gospel. So that, that was a lot in a short amount of time. I know it was a lot of scripture. But... Um, if, if I can recap, the, the way I think about the, the Holy Spirit, because uh, look, when I, and when I was young and, you know, they used to talk about the Holy Ghost, and that really scared me when I was young. I'm like, what is a Holy Ghost? But it only makes sense that God would give us a spirit that lives in us when we're saved. And why? It says now he's omnipresent, because Jesus could only be in a finite uh, area. So the Holy Spirit could be uh, with the entire church, which is you and I, it's not a building. So the Spirit is unifying all around the globe for all of God's children. We know that he will give visions, dreams, and prophecy. We know that the Holy Spirit will live inside of us. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit is outside and is a weapon for us to use. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do through us, not what you can do with it. We know that he tells us the truth in all situations. What's the right thing to do? You know, I'm in this situation. What's the right thing to do? Pray to the Holy Spirit. It says he's with you. His laws are in your mind and it's on your heart. He's going to tell you what's right. He's constant and abiding and omnipresent. So no longer would the Spirit just come and go for particular reasons. He's with you and he will give you power. It says he will teach us. He will remind you all the things that Jesus taught us. He's there to remind us, the Holy Spirit, which is why we need to read our Bible and, and have faith through the hearing because reading Jesus' words gives the Holy Spirit more to work with. 
He proves the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not my job to tell everybody they're sinners. It is my job to demonstrate a powerful Christian life walking out with the power of the Holy Spirit as evidence. That is my job. It's not my job to walk around telling everybody they sin and tell them where they're wrong and tell them they're, and to be their judge. The Holy Spirit will do that. And, and, and just remember, he's, he's capable. The other thing it says, he will tell us what is yet to come. And he empowers us for living and for witnessing. Um, so look, there, there's much more in the Holy Spirit, and we could talk about that for weeks and weeks and weeks. But all I wanted to do this morning was sort of give you that. So number one, it's scriptural. Every matter should be established by the testimony of two or three. So you should have this morning the scriptural walk of what was prophesied, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, and then the actual coming of the Holy Spirit and what his purpose was to be in you and through us. And you hear a lot about baptism, and, and here's what I say. The work of the Holy Spirit in us, and, how, and sometimes you'll hear church, and, I, and look, I don't want to preach against things. T.L. Osborne told, uh, taught me when I was getting uh, my degree, T.L. Osborne would say, you know, preach your exclamation points, not your question marks. And, and preach what you know. So look, um, here's, here's what I know in my experience. I didn't know what that was, and I know it's for power for living. And I shared with you guys last time, I was a five-year-old boy that was burnt 50% of his body. And, and they told my mom that I would surely would die. And after two or three days, they told her surely I would not die. And then, and then they said, but he won't ever walk again. So every morning when I get up, I remember, and I put my foot on the ground that surely I was condemned to die, but I didn't die. And pastors came in, and everybody prayed for me. And I still remember the faces of the pastors who came in and prayed with me, and they believed. And just, it wasn't just that they prayed, but they believed. You could see it. You, like when somebody comes and they have the Holy Spirit, like you know. You, the reason you know is because they connect, it connects with your spirit. Like you know the presence of God is rich in them. It's not that it fell on them. And I knew that. I knew that was a different experience for me. Now, I was only five, so I'm not sure I knew what it meant that I might die. But other areas of my life, he has shown up and he's given me a word. And I knew that word had to come from God and it was only from, it was the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I know there's a lot of teaching and I don't want to get into, you know, charismatic churches and not, I don't want to get into all that kind of thing, right? That's for the elders and for Ross when they come back to figure out the theology of the church. But it's not about theology, it's about a relationship. So the other thing we learned is the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a thing. It's not a what. It's not an it. It's part of the three-part God. That's why he said we. They're always in perfect unity. The Holy Spirit only says what came from Jesus, only says what he heard from the Father, is always furthering his, his will in my life to the extent that I let him do it. So what I pray, um, what I pray a lot is, and I love the way John, John the Baptist said it, is he must become greater, I must become less. My prayer for myself is that I would yield more and more and more of myself to the Holy Spirit who I know is in me. And part of the way we see that manifest in our lives is I'm a feeble man like, like the rest of us, and we're just trying to be perfected. And you can look at my life every day, and you can find things, and you say, that, that probably isn't as holy as you should be, Jim, and you're probably right. But what do we know about the Spirit of God? What are the fruits of walking out the Spirit of God? The more I walk out the Spirit of God are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no such law. Amen. So the extent my life is one that experienced through those things, I'm operating in the Spirit. Where there's strife, 
discord, disconnect, argument. Where's that coming from? Is that coming from the spirit of God inside of me? Where's that come from? That comes from me. Probably, probably someplace in me. So the important thing is the Holy Spirit is inside-out work. It's not an outside-in tool. It's an inside-out work. He's working in all of us to empower us. So with that, I'd like to pray with you a little bit. Um, sorry, I, I covered a lot of Scripture. Hopefully that, that you hung with that. But look, there's an experience in that. And I think understanding the unique role of the Holy Spirit in our lives gives us power for living, power to live the next Monday through Saturday, be a transformative demonstration of Christ in our life. And I know um, as we pray for a little bit, and sometimes, I mean, there'll be folks around that you can pray with if you like, but I would just ask you this morning, and the, the Holy Spirit has the power and has the belief. So I'd just ask you this morning uh, if we can sort of incorporate prayer, because it says when there's two or three gathered together, there, there am I in your midst. Anything you ask will be done in my name. And I don't know all God's will. I don't know why sometimes the answer is prayer and he doesn't. I don't know all those things, and I don't need to. That would make me God, and I don't want to be God. I can barely handle being Jim. So I, I'm just going to keep working on being a good Jim and being the best one I can be at that. But I would say to you this morning, are, are there those, are there those, like even in my life, it's always, you know, you're always having, you're overcoming and victories, and there's always struggles. I mean, there's physical ailments in my family, and most everybody has one. I have a brother that's, I think, had his 13th brain surgery in about 18 months, and that's hard some days. And I have a sister, and, um, and, and I have a sister that I won't, I won't expose what her, her illness, sister-in-law, I hate saying in-law, because I think she's just my sister, but she's had an ailment in her body. But the thing I love about that is she's drawn into God in that thing. She doesn't know the beginning from the end. She says, but I'm not going to accept it. I'm not taking that physical ailment. We don't know how this thing's going to play out, but it's, it's encouraged your faith. Like, you can see the power of Christ in her now. And I just love that. So we always have, but we always have times that we're overcoming. So we need to do both. The power of Christ in us and the Holy Spirit, we will be overcoming. So we just ask you, just show of hands. Does anybody have physical ailments in their family, anywhere, that we would need to pay, pray over as a corporate body? Anybody? Your hands all over. Any relationships broken? Many. Any wisdom and counsel? Anybody need direction in their life? Vision? It's everywhere. So look, I would just say, bow your heads with me and, and let's just play. And let's just believe. The important thing is, let the Holy Spirit be real in your life, but then you've got to walk out and what do we believe? It's about the, the faith of the saints, what we walk out. Father, we love you this morning. We praise your mighty, mighty name. We know that you can accomplish all things. You know the beginning from the end. It says you're the Alpha and the Omega. And we don't know your work. We don't know the end. Here's what I do know, that believing in you, you have the power, and, and that I'm not capable to be a God. So this morning, I would just pray that as a corporate body, we let you be big in our lives, that we would become smaller and you would become bigger inside each and every one of us. And where we have these struggles, maybe they're calamities, maybe they're not calamities, Father God. But the first thing we would do, we would call on you. And I pray the Holy Spirit would well up inside of us. In no situation, you would give us clarity. You would give us vision where we need vision. You would make it clear. You'd give us that peace on the inside that we would know this is the right thing to do. Not that one. That you would fill our minds and our minds wouldn't just be full of knowledge, Father God, but it would be full of relationship with you in such a way that we know who you are. 
I pray that you would touch those with physical ailments in their body this morning. In Proverbs it says, I will live and not die. I will proclaim the good work and I will give testimony to God. For the glory of God that we pay, just pray you touch those with physical ailments this morning, Father God, and, if, and you give them comfort and peace to know that you're in control. Where there's financial problems, where there's relationships, Father, I pray that you work on our hearts. I pray through your mighty Holy Spirit that you will work on the hearts in each and every one of us. We know the first and most important relationship is with that, with God the Father through the Son. No earthly relationship can excel until we have the relationship established with God the Father. So just like your word says this morning, Father God, where, we, where, where we're sinning, where we're not doing the right things, I pray the Holy Spirit would remind us this morning. I pray that he would remind us the things that Jesus would will in our life. I pray the Holy Spirit would minister. He would show us, he would show us the errors of our ways and our relationships, and it would help us restore those and to break down our hearts. I pray that we would be an open people, just like they were in Joel, and we would cry out to God, and we would turn our hearts and we would be broken. God can only work with a humble heart. So I pray that we would be humble this morning. We realize that we're insufficient, that we need you. We just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.